0: when I do experience stage fright, it's because of my own internal projections Mm. of feeling inadequate in the moment. And when I recognize that that's what's causing this fear, it has nothing to do with me speaking. Speaking is not the fear. The fear is the judgment that will come if I do this quote unquote wrong. Fear stops us from achieving our true greatness. Are you a professional woman who is feeling stuck, unmotivated or burned out? are you worried about your wellness are you letting fear stop you from crushing your goals if you answered yes to any or all of these then this is the podcast for you dr charmaine gregory night shift emergency physician burnout thriver and wellness champion along with everyday heroes just like you will explore how to face fear in our lives and emerge victoriously
1: That's a Gregory here. Did you know that I'm on YouTube as well? You can find me at Charmaine Gregory M.D. See you there. Hello, 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 Fearless Freedom Tribe. This is Dr. G. And we are back for another exciting episode of Fearless Freedom with Dr. G. And today we have on the show Tyler Foley. And Tyler is going to tell us all about himself and all of the amazing things that he is up to. Take it away, Tyler.
0: Well, I mean, what can I say? I'm I'm dabbling in many pies these days, as I'm sure many people are. I'm doing a lot of public speaking. So excited now that uh, we're back to live audiences, real-world interaction. I've been missing that. Um, been promoting my number one best-selling book, I've been doing a lot of teaching and uh, instructing on public speaking, just generally enjoying life right now, Charmaine. I'm enjoying life.
1: That is amazing. And so now, you know, you've said quite a few things there that I think we should probably try to unpack a few of them Um, because this is a show about facing fear. And you mentioned a fear that I myself and a lot of people have uh some have said that it is uh, trump's uh actually uh the fear of death
0: the fear of dying and that
1: yeah. is that is public speaking so you got to tell us like how do you like all of a sudden decide that you're just gonna speak in front of other people when that's something that a lot of people are afraid of
0: well so the funny thing is is i didn't just decide it, it i grew up in the performing arts. I started in theater when I was six years old, moved into film and television in my later teens. So I have been speaking um, with a, in a public arena for a very long time. But the funny thing is, is all of us have been speaking publicly for a very long time. Um, And it's, we don't really have a fear of public speaking. And I think that's one of the biggest myths that's out there is that, you know, I think it's like 70 or 73% or something, some weird number of Americans, when surveyed, express anxiety around this notion of public speaking. And yet they can go to a restaurant and confidently order food, often in front of a wait staff that they've never met. So this notion that we're afraid to speak in public or that we're afraid to talk to strangers or even that we're afraid to ask for what we want is null and void if we've ever been to a restaurant and ordered food. (laughs) Spoke in public, spoke to a stranger and food came to your table. You wanted it. So the reality is, is we're afraid of public judgment and we're afraid that when all eyes are on us and the focus and attention is drawn our way, that we will be judged negatively that are either our story or how we're perceived, you know, break right down to what we're wearing, how our hair is or all the rest of the, the story that goes on in our head um, overpowers this, um, the reality of the situation, which is you're just you're just talking and we talk every day and we mm-hmm. talk in public every day. Nobody nobody goes, oh, I can't go to the bank and get that money order today. I'm afraid to speak in public. Right? Nobody goes, I know you guys can't go out to the restaurant. Can't go. I certainly can't go to the coffee shop. I cannot go into Starbucks because I am <laughs> terrified of oh speaking in public. <laughs> yes. right? Nobody says that. But you sell them, you tell them go and stand on stage and tell your story or or speak on something, and they go, Oh, no, 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 I can't mm-hmm. do that. I am yeah. afraid to speak in public.
1: Yeah, no, no, that's good. I love that. I love that breakdown because um, well, I mean, if the, the tribe knows this, but literally for me. Um, As a physician, obviously, I have to do that quite a lot, whether it is in, you know, a number of two or three, because a patient and their families, or it is in front of colleagues or, you know, whatever have you, there's always opportunities for public speaking. But what I realized some time ago was that I had a lot of anxiety surrounding it. And, you know, it wasn't until I recognized that, and then I actually started thinking about it very differently, that it became something that I actually liked doing, right? Versus something mm-hmm. that I was, you know, not, you know, the, 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 scenarios where it was more than a few people, right? So when you're getting on, the, getting on the stage in front of colleagues and you're talking uh, about a topic uh, or, you know, whatever, have you, that. That was a great source of angst. Even if I were um, well versed on a topic, or, you know, like I should feel comfortable. Like this should be no different than talking with a patient and their family. It should be no different than talking with the wait staff, as you described. So I love how you have broken it down because really the two things aren't different, right? I mean, whether you're in front of hundreds of people, thousands of people, it is still, you are, you are still talking to individuals that maybe you may or may not know. It's the same, right? So if you yeah. can do it on a small scale, you should be able to do it on a large scale. But I'll tell you, Tyler, <laughs> that even though I have gotten to a place where that is more comfortable for me, I still, I still have to change my mindset before getting in front of groups of people.
0: (laughs) Well, and one of the things that I talk about is gaining confidence through competence. So as you know, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And it's very similar to the first time you drove a car or even your first kiss, you know, like those, those, it was just Heart-wrenching, like you had palpitations going the first time you did it. You know, you're probably nervous. I remember the first time I did both. You know, shaking and 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 just, oh, what if I do this wrong? How do I do? Particularly driving the car because you know I was like, it, it was a not a car, it was a truck. oh Wow, <laughs> two fifty was the first uh, vehicle that I ever drove. That's and a massive vehicle. <laughs> it's massive, and you know, and I had to uh, drive. Um, my cousin in the back throwing hay bales. And so, you know, you want to like do it and like not screw up. And then the second time that I operated a motor vehicle was also a truck. And uh, I had my uncle was standing in front doing one of these oh my hitter type uh, motions, right? Like a little bit. <laughs> but forward, I know want to hit forward, you with forward. the truck. <laughs> and, yeah. And I'm like, I, I cannot be responsible for running over my uncle. And, uh, you know, so. But now I wouldn't even think twice about getting into a motor vehicle, right? And it doesn't matter I wouldn't even care what the make or the model or the type is. for me now, a vehicle is a vehicle, a vehicle. You get in it, you put it, you start it, you put it in a drive, and you go. I don't even think twice about it. And that's the same with public speaking. The more we do it, the more automatic it becomes. and the more ingrained it can be in our subconscious versus our conscious to the point where, you know, I can now get into a vehicle drive from point A to point B and not remember the drive because it's become so automatic. Mm-hmm. Same with public speaking because I've been doing it since I was six years old. Now I just do it. It's just a thing. It's like breathing. It has become a subconscious and automatic response as opposed to a conscious and very deliberate Uh, act. And so for you, or for any of your listeners, you know, if, if the great Dr. G can be struggling (laughs) with the the fear of public speaking as educated and as articulate as you are, then it's okay for everybody else to be struggling with it. But the key is, is to do it over and over and over again, so that it doesn't become a struggle, right? Don't practice till you get it right practice till you can't get it wrong.
1: Absolutely. And so that you know, that leads me to another question that I have for you. So you were quite young when you started doing this. Now, do you recall, and maybe there might be some element of, you know, with youth, there is that, um, there is that, uh, you don't have the, the, now, I don't want to say fails, but you don't have the like negative experiences, uh, that well, you, you don't carry have fear. In, right. Right. That's so, the like, great you, thing you,
0: about being young because so like, you, you, you never get, had to my do daughter's, anything. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no more. No, but my daughter's seven and, you know, and I'm I'm all constantly being like, don't do that. It can hurt you. Right. We learn fear. Fear is a learned behavior. Absolutely. We discover the things that we're supposed to be afraid of. Until then, we're just exploring our world. So at six years old, uh, I didn't know to be afraid of an audience. And so my first experience, my first interaction with a live audience was positive. Mm -hmm. You know, I made them laugh. I got a standing ovation. That sound is one of my most formative memories and has very impactfully directed decisions in my life from that point on. So I didn't I have experienced stage fright. I know what it is like. Okay. But for me, it is rare and comes again how i know that we're not afraid of public speaking and how i know that we're afraid of public judgment is because when i do experience stage fright it's because of my own internal projections Mm -hmm. of feeling inadequate in the moment and when i recognize that that's what's causing this fear it has nothing to do with me speaking speaking is not the fear the fear is the judgment that will come if I do this quote-unquote wrong. And I, the, the three times that I can clearly, clearly remember having stage fright, uh, the first time was 14, delivering uh, a poem for uh, Remembrance Day or Veterans Day, a uh, very famous poem here in Canada in Flanders Fields. And I'd had that poem memorized uh, for probably four or five years when I was asked to deliver it for this particular ceremony in the ninth grade but it was the first time that I'd ever delivered it in front of veterans. Oh, wow. And I remember seeing these veterans, this one in particular, this gentleman had been wheeled to the front in in a wheelchair and he had a walking cane. And I remember him leaning in on the cane like this and like his eyes stared through me. Like he just, he pierced my soul, this man. And he was highly decorated. And I remember going up thinking you've actually seen the war. Yeah. Like I'm talking about the crosses in Flanders Fields. You may actually know some of the names written on those crosses. And I felt so inadequate. And I remember thinking to myself, who am I to be talking to this man about a thing that I've never seen? I don't even really t-. And at that point I I hadn't really truly analyzed the poem. And I started thinking about the words, you know, and and the, the poem talks about how just Moments ago, these men had breathed and lived a life, and now here they are, dead. Wow. And their only, the only memory of their existence is these these crosses, row on row, with all of these poppies growing between them, and and the whole the whole thing just rushed into me. And so, and the the worst part is, it's called in Flanders Fields. Okay. The very first line of the play is in flanders fields where the poppies grow amongst the crosses row on row the title is literally the first words do you think i could remember them <laughs> i was standing there the blood rushed from me and yet i was still hot uh, you know my mouth was dry but i was spitting everywhere and i just stood up there going poppies poppies pop poppies <laughs> and i couldn't i couldn't say it and then, then I was mortified because everybody knew, like, if you needed somebody to say something, you had Kyler do it because he's an actor, and you just you get actor boy to do it. And you know, my vice principal, uh, Dave Holloway, Chuck, God bless him, he <laughs> stepped up to the podium. He's like, "Go and check." And I was so arrogant too that I'd had this poem memorized that I didn't even have a a, a copy of it to reference. Oh, okay. So he kind of like shoved me to the side. Got me a copy of it, and then said we'll come back to him. They ended up playing taps, and then I came back and read the poem. Um, and you know, and then the next time that I had stage fright, I was doing my senior performance, or no, it was my junior performance. It was my grade ten year. I had to give a monologue, and I again, in my arrogance, figured I didn't need to prep. And and then when all of my peers were looking at me and judge literally judging me because everybody got to score how well you did on the monologue and all these i saw other people doing it and they were doing really well and i had i knew that i hadn't prepared and then it just went blank and then my most recent time of experiencing stage fright i was actually officiating a wedding and i've officiated dozens of weddings but it's always been for friends This was the first wedding that I had done where I didn't know the couple until literally the day before the wedding. And I met them for the rehearsal and did the thing. And what made this one even more unique and special was this is the first time that I had conducted a same sex marriage. And so these two fine gentlemen came up and I remember at the rehearsal being like, "Okay, so are we spouse and spouse, husband and husband, partner and partner? How do you want to do this? And they're like, we would like husband and husband. And I said, perfect. And I, I have, you know, a couple of really good wedding ceremony speeches that have been put together. And the ceremonies are, are well done. And I can do a really nice one. I can do a very religious one. I can do kind of hybrid. They wanted the, the non-religious version. And um, the only thing I had to get right, I mean, I can go off book and off script for all of that. The only thing I needed to get right, Dr. G, the only thing at the end I needed to say, I now pronounce you husband and husband. That's all I needed to do. Well, the one groom comes walking down, and I'm like, yep. And then the next groom comes walking down, and it kind of dawns on me, this is groom and groom. It's no real difference in the ceremony, but you know, this is this is their one chance. And they had to go to this venue and get me to do the ceremony because their other... Efficient that they had hired refused to marry them when they fi- when the officiant figured out that it was two men um and so they were in a scramble last minute to try and find an officiant and the, the gravity of it kind of hit me and i'm like what if i screw this up this is their special day you know what what if i was in this scenario i need to make it right and again it became this egotistic thing of me 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 what do i do what do i do what do i do instead of focusing on them anyway i, I so i started to feel anxiety around it i'm like this is silly luckily i'm a professional and i would recognize what was happening i'm like no just focus on them so i did i focused on them i was happy they come up you know talk to the one talk to the other and then what did i do at the very end what did i do Charmaine?
1: you said do?
0: groom and groom i now pronounce you husband and wife <gasps> i mean husband i mean husband and husband groom and groom you know you guys just kiss and that's how that's how their ceremony ended. All I needed to do was stick the landing. I could have screwed up the routine anywhere in there, but I needed to stick the landing, and it was the one bit that I failed. I felt so bad. But luckily, it was immortalized forever by three cameras and a drone camera. So, oh, dear. <laughs> Gee, yeah. how did they feel about it? I mean, I don't they know what are you laughing it about they, it. That's the thing. They laughed it off. Okay. It didn't, it didn't matter in the end. Right, their family was so happy to see them. And what made it worse too, because of COVID, their um, original wedding was canceled. Their okay. next wedding got postponed. So they had been trying to get this thing done yes. for two years. Oh,
1: gee, and great. so I
0: think just the able to kiss and exchange rings in front of their friends and family, yeah, was all that they needed. But again, it was you know it was pressure that I was putting on my head. It was an internalized thing, and yeah. and. Really- to getting out of that is recognizing that if you focus on your audience, it's really hard to focus on you. And then, and if you just make them the the center of your concentration, then it's so much easier to, to talk and overcome those anxieties.
1: Hey, it's Dr. G. And I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank you for listening to this episode. I'm so honored to have you here with me. Did you know that I can help you to get your own podcast started? With my podcasting launch course for professionals, I walk you through everything you need to know about starting a podcast. I'm with you every step of the way from sign up to launching your show with five episodes ready to go. Wow. That is, that's, those are some great pearls because I'm telling you <laughs> that as I was hanging on every word, I'm sure the tribe <laughs> is hanging on every word because you're like, well, how is it possible that he's a professional speaker and he had, you know, stage fright. So yeah. no, thank you for sharing those stories because that is, um, no, that is truly amazing. So helpful. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> Well, and the the thing that I realized too is a lot of that fear comes from a lack of preparation. Um, So you're either a lack of preparation or a lack of confidence or both, right? Again, that confidence comes through competence and competence ironically has a legal definition, adequately qualified, suitably trained with sufficient experience to perform the task with minimal or no supervision. So you as a doctor, Mm -hmm. you know, are qualified based on your education and based on the trainings that that you have received and then the additional training right the and the in-services that you're going to have to do oh, yeah. and your professional development is <laughs> right is going to keep you going but it's the experience right think back to the first the first day right as an intern, oh, yeah. you step in right <laughs> and they
1: asked me the, to be the doctor that walks in a row yes
0: <laughs> yeah and you're like I don't know what I'm doing, right? But then you look. who are now. Yeah. And you understand your practice, um, your your diagnosis. You you understand what you're going to do with you know. Even if you get a new scenario, you have an idea of how to approach it now. Where that first time was terrifying, and it, yes. it's the same for anything <laughs> that we do. Indeed. Yeah, but the more you did it easier it got and same with this. And I think you would agree with me when you make your patients your focus, if you're not worried about you and you start yeah. worrying about them, right? You start getting into the process of, of a diagnosis or, or a surgery or anything, and things start clicking into the automatic and you go, Oh, this is the, and then you get to the end of it. And you're like, ah, huh, that was way easier than what I thought. And same with the public speaking. When once you can get into the rhythm and the routine, and you you can make your audience your focus, then it's so easy to get past your own limiting belief, your own internal dialogue, because you stop hearing it because you start hearing your audience. And that's, that's really the key.
1: That is good. I love it. love that. Yeah, it's, it's, um, and then, so let's see the book again.
0: Oh yes, naturally. Yeah. Good.
1: The power to speak naked for those listening and not watching. Awesome. Yes, it's
0: Power to Speak Naked, number one best-selling book.
1: And so, what, what prompted easier what pro- than what I thought? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, tell me, uh, what prompted you to write that?
0: Uh, so, unlike most people who have like this this burning desire to be a published author, or they just, you know, whatever, it's they they've got to get these words onto the page. I actually wrote the book because a promoter wouldn't put me up on his stage until I had a book. <laughs> and I had everything else. You know, I had the skill set. I had the, the keynote. I had the presentation. I even had a training course that we could sell at the back for him. He's like, yeah, nobody will care if you don't have a book. I was like, wow. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I literally took my training courses, um, grabbed the audio from all the video, transcribed that, gave it to a ghostwriter to compile for me, and and had a really phenomenal editor as well look through it. And uh, and then the book was made, so that I could then turn around to Salim and say, "Here you go, here's yes. my book. Now can I be on your stage?" And he was said, "As a matter of fact, you can." And uh, it was it was born of necessity, really, as yes. most things. Yes, right? absolutely. You don't you don't do it until you need to.
1: Yeah, indeed, indeed. Oh, that's such a good story. <laughs> and then now it's like it's an extension of you, right? Because it's um it's content that you utilize to train individuals right
0: well yeah and it, it, the beautiful thing about it is um originally I self-published it because again I only needed to to have a book that I could give to promoters and uh, and venues when I when I'm booking you know large conference stages so it was a simple thing to be self-published and then you order a couple hundred copies sell it off at cost or wholesale to these uh, promoters and then they can deal with it as they want But what was interesting is I was actually speaking in Bend, Oregon for Les Brown. Uh, Les Mm -hmm. Brown was doing a a training uh, thing for a very intimate, very high paying crowd. And for those who don't know, Les has been living with cancer for a couple decades now, really, Mm -hmm. and doing well, doing well with it. But it does limit his ability to do things occasionally. And uh, he was just not feeling good on uh, he it was a three day workshop. and he was he was, oh, man, was he on? He was just delivering. And so I was there as kind of like support and backup, and then he couldn't come on the final day. So the um, promoter there at, who knew me, asked if I would go and and speak on uh, on the topics that Les was going to cover and and then do it in my own way. And so I got this, wonderful opportunity uh to speak with him but at that uh conference um was a publisher okay and uh, i having copies of the book i always give it out as you said it becomes the business card and you know yes. it supports the trainings and the teachings and so i just i give the books out and uh he got a copy of it and you know was thumbing through it and went about his way and about a week later i get this call from new york area code like hello he's like tyler i was like yes david hancock with morgan james i've I've got a copy of your book i don't know if you remember you gave it to me when we were met in band i was like yeah no i know he goes um have you ever thought about traditionally publishing your book i said no no i have not and so he ended up signing me up and and getting my book out there in more traditional manner. So um, where before you had to just go to Jeff Bezos' site and, you know, click add to cart. Now you can actually go to Barnes and Noble or Chapters or Indigo or any of your favorite bookstores and actually get a physical copy of the book in a bookstore, which is super cool
1: for me. That is very cool. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's so funny because all the things that you mentioned, because, you know, you said yes to certain things. And as a result of that, you know, things, other things happened And that is so true about facing fear. Now, um, you have been facing fear, even though you say that you don't really have a deep fear of this, you've been facing fear your whole life. It sounds like, and, and every time, I mean, I'm sure, that even getting on a venue at Les Brown, like I'm sure there had to be some fear involved in even asking or even getting on that
0: venue because he's no small potatoes. No, he's no small potatoes. So the funny thing is, um, I again, I wasn't a, a fear. There was a little bit of anxiety. I did have some trepidation on it because again, it's Les's crowd. So I wanted to make sure that because if it was just me, it's just my gig, I get to come and do me. But I'm representing Les Brown now. And so my biggest concern was making sure that not only I protected his name, but also the promoter who had put it all together because she had vouched for me saying, no, Tyler can deliver. you just got to give him the shot. And for um, both her and Les to have Put that faith in me meant that Mm -hmm. I had to bring my best to it. So there was definitely some anxiety and some trepidation over the prep. You know, what, how am I going to truly deliver this? But again, the quick way for me to get over it is I knew, I knew what Les wanted, right? So I knew what the end destination was because me and him were able to discuss it. What do you need to get out of this presentation? And then I just ask the audience, okay, where are we at with this, knowing where I needed to take them. And that's really the key to any good solid presentation. No. First discover where your audience is at and know what the end destination is so that you can guide them on that journey like a Sherpa. Yes. Nice. And the biggest mistake I find most people make around public speaking is they try to memorize a script. And so there's all this pressure to memorize these words, which doesn't serve you, and it doesn't serve your audience because you don't know where your audience is at when you're writing a script, and the end destination may change too. And and on top of it, it's a waste of mental power. Like, trust me, as somebody who has had to memorize script after script after script for going on 40 years, (laughs) it's it's, it is a hard, and it gets harder. The older you get, the harder it becomes to do this. Memorization. and so i I learned very quickly that the best thing you can do is find out where your audience is at, because if I wanted to come down and visit you, mm-hmm. right? If I don't know that I'm starting from my house, i can I can't enter in the directions in the GPS, right? I need a starting destination and an end destination. And so you need to find out where your audience is because if you think you're guiding them from, uh, Missouri to California. And it ends up that they're actually in Boca Raton, Florida. You can never get them to the end destination. And so with less crowd, I, I really did, you know, find out where are you at? Mm-hmm. So, cause I knew where Les needed to get them to, and, and it was varied. And so I was able to provide input that way, which made it a much more engaging presentation. It took a lot of the pressure off of me and, uh, you know, I put it back on them. Like how, yeah. how do you think we can get to where we're going? And, we got all the suggestions and I was able to put it into my GPS and get them to where they needed to be.
1: Good, good, good. No, that sounds, sounds like it was a a fantastic uh, event for sure. Yeah. Wow. Nice. And so if somebody is looking to um, get in contact with you, Tyler, how would they do that? Do you have like, well, a website the, or something
0: you want to share? Oh, yeah. The best way to reach me, Dr. G, is through my website, which is seantylerfoley.com. Sean is spelled the proper Irish way. S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com. Tell them Tyler sent you. Um, but before they jump to the website, I would ask mm-hmm. your audience right now, your tribe, who's listening to you regularly, if they're constantly or even casually listening to Fearless Freedom, and they like what you are providing for them, I would ask that they hit pause on whatever device they're listening to this right now and give you a five-star review and tell you why. What is it about your show that is bringing your audience back episode after episode after episode? And be specific. What was your favorite one? Was it maybe the interview with Chris Howard, who is a mutual friend of yours and mine? You know, I loved that episode that you, where you guys had your discussion with him. (laughs) It really is. It's one of my, (laughs) right. So what is the, what are those episodes that, that stand out for them so that, you know, what guests are resonating with your audience so that you can make the show better for them. It really only serves them. So uh, as a thank you, from me, if your audience is willing to leave you a five-star review, they can come over to seantylerfully dot com, and right on the main page, there's a big invitation to join my Facebook group called Endless Stages, where I go live every Tuesday at noon Pacific, three Eastern. For 20 minutes, we give a live training based on whatever is the topic of the week that bubbles up in the group while the week is going through. I review all the stuff, what are people asking, and then I do a live training on that. I will also give everybody a free PDF download of the number one best selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. So they don't have to track it down on Jeff's site or go to their local book retailer. They can just get a PDF, and if they like it, then they can go and buy the book. And if they're wondering how to buy the book in bulk, buy it in bulk. That is the best way to buy my book. And uh, and we will also give them a um, free video a series that I recorded called Drop the Mic, which is an introductory um, video session to my training. So they'll get the book, the training session um, live one training with me every Tuesday, and we'll also give them a, a twenty-minute uh, session one-on-one with me to just explore whatever they need to explore around public speaking or any other fears that they may have. But only if they give you a five-star review, Dr. G, that is that uh, they need to do that for me. And then I will do the rest for them.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> awesome. 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 So that is a fantastic segue into our traditional segment, which is fill in the blank. So mm-hmm. I know you're ready. Absolutely. ready. I am. So, so here we Looking go. Looking forward to it. All right. Here we go. Um, the first one is if I am fearless, I will
0: achieve anything.
1: Awesome. Awesome. The next one is to me, fearless freedom means one more time to me, fearless freedom means
0: Being able to quiet the voice in your head long enough to achieve the thing you're setting out to do.
1: Nice, nice. And the last one is my battle cry is,
0: let's do this thing.
1: Love it. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you so much for spending time with us here at Fearless Freedom tribe. We love it and we appreciate you. And, you know, we hope that we will see lots and lots of you in the future.
0: Undoubtedly. And thank you so much for the opportunity.